You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Oh, there we go. Good morning, church. Good to see you. Good to be here. For those of you who don't know, my name is Brad, and I pastor our, uh, I am Cam's equivalent at our, not greater, not worse, just Cam's equivalent at our town center campus. And uh, excited to be with you this morning and continue on with, with, our, uh, with our series, uh, New Humanity. Um, that question immediately made me think, if you're old, as old as I am, you remember uh, Keanu Reeves in, uh, in The Matrix, the original, and they stuck that thing in the back of his head and he went, whoa, I know Kung Fu. That was, that's... <laughs> Didn't even work for it. I know Kung Fu. Uh, probably the best. I think he got an Oscar for that, actually. That was some of the best acting by Ken Reeves ever. Um, we've been walking through a, a series called A New Humanity. And really what, what, what we're walking through is the Sermon on the Mount uh, from Matthew chapter 5 through to 7. And one of the ways that I found it helpful to think of, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is to think of it kind of as his inaugural speech. That this, if you're going to live in my kingdom, this is what my kingdom look like, looks like. And if you are going to be, um, you're going to align your life with me and say, I am a follower of, of Jesus the Christ, then this is what your life ought to look like within that kingdom. And I, we often use the word we're called to that, but I like to say we're invited to that because it, it is a life that the world needs to see. It is, a, it is a transformation of society and culture that the world needs right now. So what, it, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, you know what you've understood? You know how you've seen the world? How, how it's eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that when sh- someone attacks you, you attack them back. When someone is harsh on you, you are harsh back to them uh, in, until there's no one left standing. Um, when there are people who are out to build chaos, um, you push back back with chaos and you mess them up as well. What Jesus does say, you got that picture of how you've been taught? You got it in your mind? Then he goes and spins it on its head. So much so that in, if you read the book of Acts, the people were frightened when Christians would come because they would call them the people who turn society on its head because they would come and bring a new way of showing mercy and being people who loved peace, and people didn't know how to, ha- how to handle it. So we're going to continue on uh, in this series this morning, looking at Matthew chapter 6, 5 to 18. Before we do that, I'm just going to pray and ask that the Spirit would guide us this morning. God of grace, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. And in a world where we're taught to dismiss so much, where we're, we're taught to try something out and then move on, where we're, we're used to, to fast food, even when it comes to our spirituality. I pray you would do a work in us this morning. If we're honest, some of us have come here this morning, we're not interested in you working on us. <laughs> this is just part of what it means to be a Christian when we come to church on Sundays. Heal us of that. We, we come here wanting soft hearts so that your spirit can move in us and through us, through your word this morning. And God, we're mindful this morning as well. Many have come in here and it was, it was a trudge just to get out of bed this morning. Some of us come here today, whether it be physically, emotionally, or spiritually, 
we feel off-center, we feel disorganized, we feel, many of us maybe feel that you're far away. And so I pray that your spirit would show up this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Before I move on, is that feedback something I need to deal with? Or do I leave that to you? Just do more of that? Really? I did not expect you to say yeah when I did that. Okay, so I got to do the whole, okay. No, we won't, we won't do that. Uh, my wife and I, this last week, we were in uh, Niagara Falls, or we were in, in Ontario, and we, we took a day to go see Niagara Falls. I don't know if any of you have ever been to Niagara Falls, but you've maybe seen pictures of Niagara Falls that try to, to draw you into the beauty and the awe and, and the spectacle. And so when my wife and I, we walked all, all along, along this and took pictures across at the, the American side. I thought it was interesting that the, the Americans are there, and the, the, one of the real beautiful things, they're actually looking past it to look at our side. I just thought that was kind of weird to see the beauty on our side. I think I got another shot there. Um, my wife and I realized that, that I had visited it back when I was 21, 22. She had visited when she was 16. But in our 20, well, 30 years of, of being together, uh, we've never visited it together. So we decided to do that. One of the things I forgot is that before you can get to the awe and the beauty and the majesty, you have to park a, a kilometer or two away and walk through this kind of stuff. Noise and lights, it's obnoxious. You have Frankensteins who are trying to talk to you. You have vultures who can speak to you. Zombies can see casinos. And it's not until you walk through blocks and blocks of this and the lights and the obnoxiousness of it all that you finally get to the beauty and the tranquility and the awe-inspiring view of the falls. The per Nobody goes, you know what? Let's drive two and a half hours to Niagara Falls so that Frankenstein can give me a Whopper. Nobody does that. We didn't drive there for that. We had to get through all of that so that we can get to the beauty of the falls. Some of you, maybe like myself, you find that spirituality can be the same thing. Trying to get close to Jesus, trying to get more of God, we have to get past the noise. Maybe it's the noise in our own heads. <laughs> maybe it's the noise out there. Maybe it's, it's questions. But often we have to get through all this other stuff in order to get to the beauty, the tranquility, the awe-inspiring part of our faith that we read about, that we're, we're promised. It is a very loud world. There's a, there's a, a song from the, the, the late 80s. It's, a very loud, it's an awfully loud world. You can't hear yourself think. It'll make you join the monastery or it'll drive you to drink. And I think many of us say, yeah, that's what the world feels like sometimes. And in a world like this, if we don't take practices, if we don't find uh, spiritual sustenance we, we won't fail to be Christians, but we will miss out on our relationship with the Father who invites us to come and, and, and asks us, invites us to spend time with him. Otherwise, the loudness of the world, the liturgy of the world that tries to tell you that your story is very small, that will get the last word of your day. That's why Christians do things like pray. That's why Christians gather together and, and worship and, and, and paint a larger picture, remember the larger story that we're all invited into. That's why Christians do things like communion. That's why Christians do things like fast. 
um, get baptized, revisit the story over and over and over. In, in today's text that we're going to look at, Jesus is using, and it's fitting that we're in a theater. I've spent a lot of years in this theater, and as Jess, as, uh, Jess Daly did when she was younger, um, putting on productions or, or directing or producing productions, being a part of them. And so it's interesting, the text we're looking at today, Jesus is actually using the language of the theater. So when you hear the word hypocrites in the text that we're going to look through today, the word hypocrites literally comes from the Greek theater. It means one who wears the mask. And you guys have those masks in your mind when you think of theater, you see the happy mask and the sad fast, uh, sad mask. Um, that's the idea. So the minute Jesus started talk, talking about hypocrites, immediately his audience would go to a theater. Um, a hypocrite was an actor. It was a, a, a mask wearer playing a part in front of an audience to be seen, memorizing the parts, uh, memorizing the, the script, knowing where to stand on the stage so everyone is impressed, so that the, the crowd would applaud and give them a standing ovation at the end because they got it all right. That's the framework that I want us to use as we look at what Jesus is saying in this text this morning. Jesus is offering two ways of living out the beautiful story that he's invited you and I into. This, this kingdom that he's been proclaiming throughout these, these chapters that we've been studying in, into living out daily the good news of the gospel, the good news that God sees you, he knows you, and he loves you, and he gave him his whole self for you and me. There are two ways to embody that, to, to act that out, to live that out. One, you can do it as an actor, or you can do it as a child of God. So how are we going to live out our faith? This invitation into this kingdom. Are we going to live it as an actor where there's only a surface thing going on? Where everyone else outside will go, wow, doing well. You, you got all the check marks. You were at church on Sunday. You were serving on Saturday. You went to men's Bible study. Or as a child of God who just wants to be with dad. There's two ways of doing it. And one will tire you out. And one will give you life. But I'll tell you, the greatest gift, and this is if you walk away with nothing else this morning... I want you to get this. The greatest gift that God can give us is more of himself. Beyond anything else you've ever thought of or prayed for, the, the best thing that God can give you is more of, of himself. So whatever you and I might be after in, in, in our spiritual acts, in, in, the, in the things that we do, that we, that we use to label ourselves Christians, more of God only comes when we, we approach him like a child, not like an actor. So in, in, chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus starts by saying this, and he, he's been talking about how we give. I don't know if you guys did that one last week, on how we, how we, we give tithes and, and offerings or, or give to the poor. In, in Matthew 6, 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the mask wearers. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Notice, why are they doing it? To be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they, they have received their reward in full. Know your, know your audience. Who are you praying to and for? The actor is worried about being seen, to be praised for their production, this guy is, is praying on the street. Now, prayer usually happens together like this, in a group like this, maybe, as we've already done this morning, or, uh, or in the synagogue in this case. But the idea here is that this guy is so spiritual, he can't wait to get to the synagogue. It's just, it's just flow. It's like a spiritual sneeze. He just has to get it out. He can't hold it down. That's how spiritual, you guys, oh, you guys, you guys made it all the way to the synagogue. I'm so spiritual and so connected with God, I just had to get it out on the way here. 
I was going to say that this morning, that I, I actually have no sermon for you because I, I just had my window down. I was just preaching it on the way here because I was so excited to talk. But that's the wrong audience. I mean, I am so glad in, in, in a world where so many people are worried about their image, I'm so glad that the church has just hopped over that landmine. I'm so glad that the church is not interested in filling up their Instagram accounts and, and, and TikTok and, and YouTube, our YouTubes of helping the homeless. Hashtag helping the homeless. That's dark. It's <laughs> a lot of sarcasm for a pastor. Well, I'm laying it on pretty thick. Okay. And you might be saying, wait, wait a minute. He's, he's one of the pastors from CA Church. Don't we do a lot of that kind of stuff in our church? We do. And I think we need to ask very serious questions as individual Christians, as a community, as, as the church, about why we post and who is the audience of our post. To use the language of the theater, what's my motivation? Why are we posting? And that will then influence what we post and who we're glorifying and who our audience is when we post. Jesus is, is saying, do not settle for putting on a costume and learning the lines. That's what an actor does. Now, here's the good news. If you choose, if you choose that, you know what? I'm actually more concerned with what the world thinks of me. I'm more concerned of what people at Rail City think of me than anything. The good news is, is Jesus says, good, you'll get exactly what you're People will think greatly of you, and, it'll, and people who are fickle will think greatly of you for those five minutes, and then they'll wait for the next thing you can pull off. You will get your reward in full, he says in verse 6. The problem is that that reward never satisfies. It is a cheap imitation of relationship with God. It's a cheap imitation of what we will get when we have community with the Father, he says, don't try to put on a show for others. But then he also says, don't try to put on a show for God as if you can manipulate him by your great performance. Don't just worry about memorizing the lines so God will be impressed. Verse 7 says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't worry about eloquence or the correct calculation in order to convince God. No, come to him like a child. That's the invitation. Children of the living God. Remember who he is and that you have the, the gift and the invitation to come to him. In, in Ecclesiastes 5, 2-3, it says, Don't be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. Saying We start daydreaming and going all over the place with our words. Just remember who God is, remember who you are, and pray with that in mind. See, it isn't just about wearing a mask. It isn't about memorizing the right lines. It's about remembering the audience. This God who is heaven in heaven is also your dad. Wow. You get to call him Daddy and go before him. This God who is in heaven welcomes you in. And who knows, what does it say in verse eight? He doesn't just know what you want, he knows what you, and no one has their Bibles open? <clears throat> knows what you need, absolutely, what you need. Thank goodness. You know who doesn't care about what you need? The audience, the crowd. The people who give you all your clicks and your likes, they don't care what you need. They care maybe what you want. Who, who, do, okay. 
Who doesn't do a like or a heart just so you don't make someone feel bad? You looked at their picture and you go, it's average, but okay, I'll give them a thumbs up. Because you know what they want, not what they need. That could be the very thing that keeps them on it all night going, did anyone else like my picture of my little dog? And I, it fits in my purse. See, the world today will say, hey, if that mask isn't working for you, just swap it out and put another mask on. We don't care. Just as long as you play whatever part you want, we'll keep liking it. We live in a world that is concerned about giving you and I every, and sadly, every confused teenager what they want, often without asking what they need. That mask isn't working for you. Just swap it out for something else. Just keep swapping masks and leave alone what lies beneath, but not your father. Your heavenly father wants to deal with you, not what you throw out to the world. When, when you and I live out the, the, the new story of the gospel, when we trade ours in, when we're, what, this story that we've inherited through Christ, it cuts through the production and we, and we can go straight to our heavenly father who reigns over all creation and who knows what we need. And so notice that the, the, the prayer that Jesus offers us, that what, we, what we call the Lord's Prayer, is an example of a, a rightly understood audience, who our audience ought to be, that moves the crowd aside, that this praying in the street, and, and it goes to this intimacy with our Heavenly Father, a Heavenly Dad, which I'll say was a new concept that Jesus introduced. The idea of calling the Creator of all things Daddy, that was brand new. And that's what we read. It's Abba, this word for, hey, it's, you still hear it today. And you've, when you've been, any of you who've been to, to Israel, you'll still hear kids running around saying, Abba, Abba. That's the word that, that Jesus is using here. So we approach God in our prayers as a child of God with a dad who loves to hear from their child. Verse 9 says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Our daddy in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are above all things and above all other pursuits. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Come down here, God. Be at work in my life, through my life, on earth as it is in heaven. That's the greatest gift you could give me beyond all my other prayers. Give us today this daily bread. Why just today? So that I will come to you tomorrow and rely on you again, that that will be the basis of my life. Forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he speak, Jesus speaks directly to his, his audience. He says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your father will not forgive your sins. That whole prayer is saying, God, may we manifest down here in the day-to-day -day the forgiveness that you have shown us. May the gospel that you've delivered to us, may it spread in, in our community and in our society and in our culture and in our world. And, and verse 15 is not talking about um, he won't forgive as in eternal judgment will fall on you if you fail to forgive. We see throughout Scripture, especially in Matthew 18, that that is not how God's forgiveness works. But the idea is that if you have been shown this forgiveness of all things, of every debt, that his, his grace is abounded far beyond your sin. How then can we live out the gospel without forgiving others? We, the, the implication is that we will live with a weight, we'll live with this incongruence if we try to live in the knowledge that we are fully forgiven but not forgive others. That will be a burden that we live with. 
So this, the Lord's Prayer is this, and if you want a more in-depth, I don't have time to go in-depth the Lord's Prayer. We've done it before. You can find it online. But what it is, is it's this complete invitation that, that the God who was once thought far off would now be manifest in our every day, that he would take center stage in all things. Why? Because the greatest gift God can give any of us is more of himself. In verse 16, Jesus looks at another spiritual discipline. He talks about fasting. Fasting, plainly put, is the, is the practice of, of giving up food for a time. Not just, to give, not just because intermittent fasting is going to slim me down for the summer. <laughs> I'm fasting. Can't you tell? Can't you tell how spiritual I am by looking at my body? It, it's the idea of saying to God, food sustains my body, but you sustain my whole person. So I, I will give up food and make space for God to get a hold of me. So I will give up. And today we, we talk about giving up different things so that times of fasting would be times of concentrating on prayer. That any of those things that may have a grasp on us, we will give them up so that God will grab us. When we, when we think of food, when we're fasting, we then start relying on the bread of life. When we're thirsty, we start thinking about Jesus as the living water. Some of you, if you've grown up in different Christian, Christian traditions, maybe you've been familiar with the idea, or maybe you have fasted before. You, you've given up something maybe for Lent. Uh, there was a big, big news story on Fox news uh, last Easter season where Mark Wahlberg was talking about um, fasting for Lent and the, <laughs> the little line underneath on the TV said, the Mark Wahlberg fast. I didn't know we were changing it as a church to call it that, but that was interesting. Some of you grew up a Catholic tradition, the idea of, of, of only eating fish on Fridays and giving up uh, meat for, for Fridays. To be honest, it's a lost practice and, and uh, and now one that maybe it's, it, it, it means, like I said, today when people hear fasting, they immediately look for that little graphic that shows like the five different body shapes and the fact that, if, how do I do this? Fasting is also a statement that our physical body and our spiritual health are connected. That is something the world is, refuses to see today. That the things that we do with our body does something to our person. So scripture calls our bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit. So because of that, the people of God in the Hebrew scriptures were told to hold a fast. You know how many times God commanded they hold a fast a year? Once. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees would do it twice a week and they'd let everyone know. But in Leviticus 16.21, it says, it says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the 10th day of the seventh month, seventh month you must deny yourselves. The, the Hebrew there literally means deny yourselves food and, do, and, and not do any work, whether native born or a foreigner residing among you. Verse 31 says, it is a day of Sabbath rest and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. Every year on the Day of Atonement, you should fast. The fast, um, because it happened during the Day of Atonement, by the time it got to the early church, they actually, instead of calling it the Day of Atonement, they just titled it The Fast because they all knew throughout that whole year, they looked at it that we're not going to get to eat that day. 
Now we know there's other reasons to fast. We see people throughout scripture in, in, in the book of Jonah, the, the Ninevites fast as they're repenting. Um, we see Moses fasted, David fasted, Jesus fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. The apostles fasted. It was a, a declaration that more than food, more than comforts, more than any of the necessities of life, the greatest gift we can receive is more of God. It was a way of clearing out all the noise of life and trying to get a clearer picture of God. But there was another form of fasting. And it wasn't for spiritual health. It was a production. It was a mask. It was for the wrong audience. It was being spiritual for those who could see you being spiritual. In verse 16, Jesus says, when you do fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites. So imagine the sad, the sad mask going on. Don't look somber um, as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. People feel sorry, but they're also really impressed. People think to themselves, I wish I was more like that person. That person is so spiritual. They must be so connected with God. My son woke up this morning, and before he came out of his bedroom, I heard, ah! That's not normally the noise he makes. Normally he's singing something. But I'm like, he comes out of his bedroom door. My son is 6'5". He's a bit of a giant. And I said, uh, what's wrong? He goes, ah! I was working out last night. We all know that person. You're hanging out with them, and they're like, oh, and then they wait for you to ask. What's wrong? Oh, my pecs. It's chest day yesterday. And we think, oh, man. And the idea is that you're supposed to think, oh, man, what did I do? Oh, I watched the whole third season of Mandalorian and ate cheese puffs. You're so holy. You're so better than I am. Jesus said, hey, if that's what you're after when you're fasting, by putting on the sad face and by groaning, he says, then your reward has been met and that's all you're going to get. Imagine if one of the side effects uh, to telling other people you worked out is that you couldn't grow any muscle. <laughs> like, I don't know, I'm working out every day and then I'm boasting about it, but I'm not... That's what Jesus is saying. That's what the spiritual disciplines are like for you if you play them for the audience in front of you rather than for your father. That you will not grow any spiritual muscles that way. You trade in the actual effects. Jesus says, don't let on that you are fasting. In verses 17 and 18, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. It's the typical way of getting ready for the day in first century Palestine so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, wash up, put on your old spice, please put on some deodorant, brush those teeth, don't let on. That's how you get your true reward. What your, fa your father who is unseen, who sees what is done in secret, will give you a reward. And what is that reward? Another one of him? That was pretty close. More of him. Exactly. Do we have gold stars? <laughs> exactly. The greatest gift God can give us is more of himself. Guys, giving as we ought to do to the poor to the, to the health of the church, prayer, fasting, times of, times of solitude. These are things that the church calls spiritual 
disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are not means of gaining God's grace. They are not ways of getting more love and a thumbs up from God. They are not ways for us to gain any greater standing or attention with God. The gospel declares that you are seen by God, you are known by God, and you are loved by God. The cross of Christ declares that you are loved and and come as you are, and no amount of prayer or fasting or serving on Sunday morning at the church will make his love any greater for you. His love is already overflowing. It's been displayed on the cross. What the spiritual disciplines are, are meant to do. They are ways that that Christians have found helpful in opening up our heart to experience that grace more and more. To get past all the noise and the Frankensteins and whatever else are in the way of getting to the awe and the beauty. They clear the way of all that stuff that can so often get in the way, that can cloud our vision of our Father and of the the beautiful story that he's invited us into through his Son, Jesus Christ, of getting past the lights and the the obnoxious um, uh, events and everything in the way that often we stuff into our lives and, and, and it helps us push back against the world and tells us that, that there is such a, a much more beautiful story that you and I can be living in. The, the spiritual disciplines, things like prayer and, and fasting and times of solitude, and they, they push back on the liturgy of the world that tells you you have a very small story and you have to create something out of that story. The the spiritual disciplines help us push back on that and and anchor ourselves in the beautiful story that the gospel invites us into. Um, When my kids were younger, they would always be blown away when we would go camping. And they're like, well, where do all these stars come from? And that's something that a lot of people think. You look up at the sky. If I'm sitting out in my backyard in Port Coquitlam and I look up at the sky, I, I hardly see any stars at all. And then we go out camping And all the lights of the city, everything called light noise that's been competing from the attention of my eyes gets pulled back and we start seeing things like this. I did not take that picture. (laughs) Those stars don't disappear. The story doesn't disappear when we're in the city, but so many other things are competing for that beauty that it blinds us. And only when we get away from them do we understand how big, how vast, how massive the story is that we live our lives in. This is what the spiritual disciplines do for us. They they push back the noise, they push back the, the light noise, and they give us a greater understanding of the beauty and the glory of God. When we pray the way Jesus invites us to, we're, we're exposed to something that can only be seen when we step away from all the noise. When we, when we give up our wants for, for our needs, which, which is what fasting is, we gain clarity, we, we sit in a larger story, and we find real, true, eternal sustenance. The spiritual disciplines are important when they're done as children going to their father and just saying, I just want more of you. They help us remove the wrong audience, the wrong script. They help us remove masks and spend time with our Father. One one of the ways I've described the spiritual disciplines is is, is, it's almost like putting, our spiritual disciplines are ways of putting bowls out to collect rain. Just collect some of God's grace. We want to be prepared and we want more of him. 
A.B. Simpson, who I'm sure you mention every week when you preach. A.B. Simpson was the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. And if you don't know that, you are sitting in a Christian Missionary Alliance church at this moment. A.B. Simpson, um, well, some of you probably can recall some of his greatest hits. You probably have them on Spotify right now. There's a sweet and lowly pathway leading up to God. Four short letters mark its milestones. P-L-O-D, plod. <laughs> you, you don't know that? Okay, let me try one of his other ones. Maybe you know this one. <laughs> There's a, no, it didn't go like that at all. There's a little word that the Lord has given for our help in the hour of need. Let us reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, to be dead and dead indeed. Let us reckon, reckon, reckon. Let us reckon rather than feel. Let, let us be true to the reckoning and he will make it real. You guys know that? No, you don't? Okay. So he was not a good hymn writer is what I'm saying. He wrote a lot of hymns and you've never sung them in church. You've never sung them in an alliance church. But if you read anything about A.B. Simpson, you will know that his love for Jesus did not stop at saying, Jesus saved me, and that's my story. It did not step there. He stopped there. He was always asking, how can I get more of him? How can I get more Jesus? How can I tether myself more firmly to this beautiful story I've been invited to? How do I get past all the manipulation, the show, the play acting, and just get more Jesus? And although Simpson was not a great hymnodist, hymnodist, he captured the sentiment and the goal of prayer and fasting and giving and the spiritual disciplines in one of his hymns where he said this. He said, once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it was the feeling, but now it's his word. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. The problem for so many people and myself at times, who complain about struggling with faith is that they've camped on being saved as if that was the goal of Christianity. What's he about to say? <laughs> That's not it. The goal, the, the goal of being a Christian is not being saved. It is going after more Jesus. It is relationship with him. We are, not say, we are saved to be in relationship with our God and creator, who, by the way, is also our father. And when we, when we remove our masks, when, when, when we, it's as if God wants to bless us with more of himself, and, we, and we've, we've got our hands so full of so many other things, he can't do it. The spiritual disciplines help us drop those things, just say, give me more of you. And we remove our mask and, and approach our Father and, and step away from the noise of the world to spend time with Him, we anchor ourselves in something much more beautiful and transformative than the city lights and the, everything that tries to grab for our attention. I want to invite you to... to I invite you to, to look, I mean, this isn't really a sermon about what all the, the spiritual disciplines are, but there, there's some, some great books that talk about the spiritual discipline. I'd look into Richard Foster's book, um, Celebrating, Celebration of the Disciplines, um, to look into some of these things 
as ways of pushing the world back, of pulling, of pulling back the veil and stepping into the presence of God. Not because we gain his approval, but because it, it's like softening the soil to, to help us approach him more. One of the other ways that we do this is in community at church when we take communion, when we take what we call the Lord's Supper. It's a way for us to anchor ourselves in the larger story. When you leave this place today, before you get to your vehicle, you're going to be attacked by the liturgies of the world. Before you make it home, you're going to see advertisements, you're going to hear something on the radio, maybe listen to a song, you're going to watch something today that's going to tell you your life is, your story is very, very small. And you are whatever you make of it. And follow your heart. The gospel of Disney is going to somehow get to you today. And it can make our world feel so small. It can make us feel like we've been narrowed down to a storyless existence. When we take communion, we are anchoring ourselves in the most beautiful story. We are reminding ourselves that the page you are on today is taking place in a larger chapter, which is taking in place in a larger book. When the Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we celebrate this, we eat this meal that Jesus gave us to celebrate his death and, and the giving of his body and the spilling of his blood, it says we do that remembering his death until he comes. Do you realize how ridiculous that statement is? When we eat, we remember his death until he comes. Those are the bookends to the story that your existence is in right now. That is the story that you walk in if you are a Christ follower and you've given allegiance to him for your life. And so as we take communion, which we're going to do now, I, I would pray that, uh, and ask you to remember the, the three-dimensionality of your faith. You are, you are part of, a, of a, a church that has been doing this for 2,000 years. You are not just a church that exists in 2023. You are part of a 2,000-year-old movement. There are people taking communion today who cannot do it in public because they'll be thrown in prison. You're also taking this communion as part of the global church. But what the resurrection tells us is that you're also doing this as part of an apocalyptic, that the, that the story is so much bigger than just us sitting here. That the lid has been blown off the cosmos and Christ is currently seated above all creation. When we take communion, we are celebrating that three-dimensionality of our faith. What a beautiful story. What a, why would we give that up for any other story? But this is something, this is part of the liturgy of our church because we have to continue to anchor ourselves against, uh, in this story, against the liturgies that a, the world are going to throw at you and tell you to get on a treadmill and run until you die. The world will offer you treadmill after treadmill after treadmill with no off switch and say, keep running, keep running, keep running. And we're like that guy on YouTube, well, there's millions of them, who tries to read the switch and just smacks and then goes into the back wall. God says, that story, the, the run is done. Jesus says, I've already done that run. I've already carried the cross. I've already, I've already done what you cannot do. Live in this story I died to create. So if you're a Christ follower, you are welcome to take part in communion today. And we will take bread, which represents the body of Christ that was given on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. We'll take the juice, which represents the blood of Christ that was spilled. And Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave all of his blood, 
fully for our salvation and for our relationship with him and with the Father. But this is not uh, Rail City uh, Church's communion. This is the Lord's Supper. So if you are a Christian, whether you attend this church or not, you're welcome to take part. If you're not a Christian, these are the weirdest snacks in the world. So I would say to you, if you're not a Christian, just remain seated while other people uh, come forward to take communion. Um, but it would be our prayer, it would be our hope that you then come ask questions after the service and say, well, what is, what is this following Jesus all about? How do, I, how do I get in on this beautiful three-dimensional story of existence? I want to be a part of that. And it would be our, our hope that the next time communion is taken here at Rail City, you would then be a part of it wholeheartedly. So how we're going to do this, uh, I believe the band's going to come up and, and, and lead us in worship, yeah? And while that's happening, um, starting at the, the front row, you guys can make your, make your way up and take your bread and your cup um, and you can consume it as you would like. If you are, um, and then the next row and the next row, next row. If you are gluten-free, you can come to the center and grab um, one of these here as well. Let me pray and then let's go ahead with communion. God of grace, thank you so much for the story that you've invited us into. Thank you, Jesus, that you accomplished all the things we could not. Thank you, Jesus, for the, that for the joy that was set before you, you left your throne on high, you took on flesh, knowing full well what that would mean, that it would mean that your flesh would be beaten and abused, that it would mean you would give yourself to the full. You would lower yourself to be killed like a criminal and suffer the punishment for our sake so that we would not have to. So however we come into this place, Father, whether we come in full of pride or whether we come in low and thinking this could never be true for me, may we meet on the level ground of the cross this morning. Thank you for all that the bread and the cup represent. Thank you for the unbelievable, stubborn expression of your love that would stop at nothing but your own death to welcome us into communion with you and the Father. May this be a way of us anchoring ourselves in that story. May this be a way of us tethering ourselves more firmly to you, Jesus. Thank you for writing our story and welcoming us into it. We pray these things in Jesus' name and we worship you through this communion. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.